This is Encounters, a dialogue that brings you multifaceted life stories you don't want to miss. I took my translation to him, and in an hour, you know, sent back to me. I typed it in black. Everything became red. I was a little bit disheartened. So you know. many mistakes, right? Right, right. <laughs> and I realized there was a huge gap from what I've learned to what was needed. She read my English translation and asked, "Do you understand the Chinese?" I said, "No, I don't really understand." She said, "Why did you translate? Go back and try to understand the Chinese." Don't translate until you understand what is being discussed. Hello and welcome. I'm Manling in Beijing. My guest today is Huang Youyi, an established professional translator and vice president with the Translators Association of China. Before he retired, he was head of the China International Publishing Group, which is the largest foreign language publishing organization in the country. In the last episode, Huang shared his experience of studying in the UK, where he had his first taste of Scottish cottage pie, and met his future wife. That was in 1975. Eight years later, he got another opportunity to go abroad to study. This time to the United States. Nobody would have expected the young man to land himself in trouble simply by studying hard, probably too hard. So 1982, 83, 83. You got another chance to go abroad, and what was the consideration of the government to send you again to another major English-speaking country? The management at Foreign Express realized that、uh, they need to really train a new generation of people who can. Translate capably, who can really introduce Chinese culture to Western audience. So they decided to send some of the young people to study overseas for the second time. Again, I was among the first to be picked, and they said, "This time we are also sending you for two years, and you have to bring back a master degree."、Mm-hmm. And、uh, my boss said,、uh, "You know, we are sending you because of the nature of our job. You should study journalism." And get a master degree. I went to the university, U.S. University. I realized went to register. There was no master program in journalism. They have a very good school of journalism, but they didn't have master program. So I had a choice to study in English department or history department. At that moment, something came to my mind. Another boss of mine who studied in U.S. in the forties before I left Beijing said, "You know,、uh, from my experience." Probably is a better idea to study history. I said, "Why?" He said, "You know, if you study history, you are in touch with American thought,、yes. American culture, American way of life. In that way, you learn more about the United States. And also, studying history expands vocabulary. It's very simple. In our job, you have to have a large vocabulary." So his words came to my mind. I registered in the history department. Wow! So he sort of served as a good mentor to you, right? To、exactly. guide you into your career. All the way, I had. All these、wow. fantastic. So that's、mentors. why you have a big sort of vocabulary sort of、um, base, definitely. And、uh, I want to know that this is the second time, and the first one is seventy-five to the UK, and this time eighty-three, nineteen eighty-three to the United States. What were the differences you feel this time? There will be less culture shock, right? Right. And the food was tastier, right? But there are still differences. 
tell us the differences between the UK and the US and the differences between US and China? Uh, the American, on the surface, they are very open. They are open. The British seem to be reserved. But if you become friends, it's lifelong, lifelong friends. I have friends. many lifelong friends from UK. Yes, indeed. It's much easier, right? After much. several years of working experiences and the education you received in the I UK. I read faster. I could write. Uh, my experience at Foreign Language Press uh, was a big help. In history class, you have to read a lot. And then you have to write 15-page dissertation every week. And that was hard work, but my working experience helped. When did you come back? Two years later. There was something very... 85. 85. But, you know, there was another story. I was told to do a master's degree. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to spend all my two years studying American history because other things I want to study. Technical writing. You're so ambitious. U.S. movies, realistic literature, things like that. So I took more courses than I should have done. So I've earned enough credits in the first year. And oh, you graduated in advance. Then the school told me, the university told me, you have since to- you have earned enough degree, now you have to go back to China. I said, no, I came for two years. They said, you know, the agreement said two years with master degree. You've done your master degree. Now you have to go and back. And then you got yourself into trouble because you wanted to stay, big right? Trouble, big and trouble. And then how did you correct this mistake? I was the first Chinese student in the history department in that particular university. Uh-huh. And the department came to my rescue. They said, we need a TA on Chinese history. Teaching assistant. Nobody nobody could teach the part of Cultural Revolution. Lucky you. So Mm. I I did a a little bit of teaching, not whole year, but I spent most of the time studying other topics I was interested in. And as Huang Youyi says, he had many fantastic mentors all the way. As a young editor at Foreign Languages Press, he had the good fortune to work with some of the best-known foreign language experts and journalists, such as Israel Epstein. At the beginning, we had uh, veterans like Israel Epstein. Actually, he was the one who recorded Polish, my my first written translation. He was an old friend of Chinese people, definitely. And he was a Mm. career journalist. Mm -hmm. I took my translation to him. And in an hour, it was sent back to me. I typed it mm-hmm. in black. Mm-hmm. Everything became red. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit uh, disheartened. So you know. many mistakes, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, but I was prepared because mm-hmm. what you learned on campus is knowledge from the book. Mm-hmm. What actually is spoken is something else. So I was prepared. But still, I was a little bit disheartened. And I realized there was a huge gap from what I've learned to what was needed. Epstein was born to a Jewish family in 1915 and became a Chinese citizen in 1957. He was one of the few foreign-born Chinese citizens of non-Chinese origin to become a member of the Chinese Communist Party. After China adopted its reform and opening up policies, Huang Youyi was offered more opportunities to work with foreign professionals who not only polished his language, but also mentored him with his career. China opened up in 1978. And the country was in huge demand of talents, especially language talents. And translators were at the forefront because without understanding the outside, without the language, how can you communicate with the outside world? And then in your publishing house, 
what sort of、um, phenomenon arose which showcases that we were in huge demand of translation talents in the mid nineteen eighties. Suddenly, everybody in my publishing house became very busy because there are so much things to translate. It's like overnight, right? Right, and we managed to get money to bring in computers, so we could work much faster. And、uh, every day you are translating different things. But before the computers, you were doing it manually. Manually typing. Oh yes.、Uh, mm-hmm. Before you get to the office, you hear typing. That's a beautiful right, right. sound. <laughs>、uh, it used to be yes.、Yeah. And、uh, we were translating different things. Yeah. For example, I remember we were doing something on joint venture regulations, the initial form of、uh, law on joint venture between China and foreign. Investment. Oh, because we are attracting foreign investors into the country,、right. they need to know the rules and regulations.、Right. There was a huge interest from overseas in this topic,、mm-hmm. so we did one book. The book sold seven thousand copies. Every unit, every department, every foreign company, every potential investor wanted a copy of this. But did you know how to translate these things accurately and beautifully? I always ask this question. We had.、Uh, Help from two sources. One is people who are in the profession. Secondly, we had more foreigners. So actually, China was mobilizing all available forces to get it done. You、and、can then, never go alone in publishing for the foreign audience. You have to enlist. We have to、native、rely、speakers. on native speakers. Right, right.、Uh, even today, we hire polishers. We call right. We cannot do without them. Do you have stories about how did you cooperate with these polishers to make your translation better? You know, I was translating a piece on scientific exploration of the roof of the world, Chumalama, the Chumalama, yes. And、uh, somebody called Joe Pinkham, who was a professional translator between French and English, not Chinese no, and English. She, she couldn't understand Chinese, but. She was a professional translator,、uh-huh. so she read my English translation and asked, "Do you understand the Chinese?" I said, "No, I was just, I don't really understand anything about scientific exploration on this huge mountain." She said, "Why did you translate? Go back and try to understand the Chinese. Don't translate until you understand what is being discussed." Wow, that is a good lesson. That、right? was a good lesson. Good advice. Another help I learned was that from a American who was a actually a journalist,、mm. Sarah Grimes. She was given a job to publish a book on Hangzhou, Westlake, beautiful city. It was translated by somebody into English, and there were a lot of Chinese poems, classic quotes, the most difficult uh, uh, idioms.、Mm-hmm. She couldn't you understand. Know, understand. So my boss in the office decided to send her to Hangzhou to do interview. Did she speak Chinese? No. So no. I went with her as interpreter. I learned from her how to write books, how to edit books.、Mm-hmm. If you don't understand, you don't start writing or editing. You go there and see it. Interview people. So we interviewed some of the places discussed in the book. I was translating all the time, and she was taking notes. At the time, there was no tape no, recorder like, no, like no, today. No. Right? She wrote on her book. And in the evening, she would type out that particular chapter. She was very efficient. She would hand it to me, and I would check the facts,、mm. people's names, dates, things like that.、Mm-hmm. And so it was、uh, like a person-to-person, one-to-one training for me. Yeah, I heard the story before that she refused to eat separately with Chinese stuff, and that was the very interesting sort of、uh, period of time when. 
you know, foreigners and Chinese uh, natives were treated completely differently. We bought things in different shops. We even used different currencies. Can you share the story with us? I think basically China was very poor at the time. We had to treat foreigners. They were our guests. We have to treat them nicely. Yes. So we give them better food. Mm. We were eating very poor. I think that's the main reason. If you go to the countryside, rural villages, you still encounter this kind of thing. The guests are given better food. Mm -hmm. And so she, as a foreigner, was given a much better set menu for her to choose. And much better salary. Right, better pay. <laughs> yes. She finds this unacceptable. Mm. We work together, but once every day when we go to the canteen, we have to separate. In the big room, she was eating in the table behind the screen. Mm -hmm. I can understand her frustration. Mm -hmm. So she protested, protested. And then you finally ended up eating together. Right. I tried to, <laughs> I tried to mediate. Eventually, she said, I'm not going to eat today. She boycotted That's, food. Right, right. That's oh why the local authorities decided. Uh -huh. I think probably the local authorities subsidized the budget for the Chinese to eat to together eat with her. To eat better food. Yeah. My goodness. But maybe 10 years later, actually, when I was doing the translating job with uh, World Bank staff, we were like, uh, every time in the lobby, we would say, hey, come to the Chinese canteen. And they would say, no, come to the Western food canteen. And we said, no, no, no. Only one meal most because we have our own appetite. Our appetite suits Chinese food. And that is not because we are eating different sort of, um, you know, better food. It's because, you know, our taste. It's not right. because we were treated differently. So that's a progress. Never start translating anything before you really understand it. This straightforward advice has become the standard principle that Huang Yi has stood by throughout his career. In 1982, you actually partook in the translation of the amended constitution into English. And that is a landmark because I noticed that when I try to get to know you, I think you have left your career mark in a small but very significant one. Because since your effort, or maybe your effort plus your peers' efforts, since then... We translated the title of our leader instead of using chairman like Chairman Mao Zedong. Like today, you know, we have President Xi Jinping. So could you share with us why? What's the consideration behind it? Remember Joe Pinkham, what she told me. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand, don't translate. So there were four people, a group, translating the new constitution. My part was concerning China should have one top leader and several vice leaders, something mm, like that mm, mm, mm. in Chinese. Mm -hmm. And uh, remember, it was very easy to translate the Chinese phrase into chairman because we had Chairman Mao, we had Chairman Liu. At that time, we had Chairman Hua. But at that time, I learned enough English and also benefited from my working experience that you have to make Chinese things accessible to the foreign reader. If you have a chairman, you have a committee. Mm -hmm. That's the chairman's job. But the constitution doesn't say China has a state committee. Without committee, how come you, you have, have a, a chairman. chairman? Yes. So I said, maybe we should use the word president. And one of my colleagues said, you know, don't try to be smart. Do what people have already done. Mm -hmm. 
So I approached my uh, the director of our department. I said, you know, we had an argument. He said, "Illogic, you are right.、Mm-hmm. Chairman has to chair a committee."、Mm-hmm. He said, "Maybe it's time for us to change." Yeah. So you met in a liberal-minded sort of a superior. Yes, people were all became very very open-minded,、mm-hmm. and he said,、uh, "Let's use the word president and report it to higher ups." And so since the eighties, we. Began to have president instead of chairman in cha- to referring to the head of state. Yes, very interesting story over there. Actually, this is not alone for China. A couple of years later, after that, I met somebody who worked as translator in Indonesia. She was from Yugoslavia, married into Indonesia. She was given the job to translate Indonesian constitution into、mm. English. She came across the same problem. She said she decided. Not to follow the tradition to、uh. use the word chairman, but president in the English Constitution of Indonesia. Why do we translate? We translate to convey Chinese story. We have to make sure that our audience understand. It's a trend in the last ten years. Yeah, to yeah. make this possible. Yeah, we shall all keep in mind that we sh- first understand and then to translate. <laughs> Wang Yuyi recalls that in 1980s, his job was mainly translating from Chinese into English, but from time to time he was also given jobs to translate from English into Chinese. Once China opened up, the first thing is we have to learn from advanced foreign countries in technology, in management, even in culture. So I think I would describe that as the first wave of translation. People were translating. Foreign books into Chinese. So the proportion of how much were translated actually into English and how much were translated into Chinese then? Nationally speaking, ninety percent was translating from foreign stuff into Chinese, mostly from major foreign languages: English, French, French, German,、mm-hmm. Japanese. Huang says the second big wave of demand for translations came after China emerged as an economic giant at the turn of the century. The world was becoming increasingly curious about China. Chinese goods were entering homes around the world, and investors started pouring into China. This led to a growing demand for Chinese texts to be translated into other languages. Why there's a reversed trend that more Chinese stuff is being translated into English and other even non-common languages? The second wave coincided with China's economic and cultural development. China came to a point where we are still learning from foreign countries, but we feel it's time that we better explain China itself. And there's also huge growing interest overseas. In learning about China, we didn't realize this by theory, but we hear in the translation association, we hear people talking about we need more translators teaching translating Chinese into foreign languages. So we did an investigation in 2011. To our surprise, 54% of the translation job on the market was translating from Chinese into, into English in, in, into foreign languages.、Mm-hmm. In 2014, we did another investigation. It proved 60% is what we call outbound, incremental. Right. So I would describe this second wave as from translating the world into translating China to the world. There's a huge demand over there. 
To satisfy such huge demand, China needs a large team of well-trained translators. Huang Youyi shared the fruits of his experience and helped start up China's accreditation test for translators and interpreters, which has become a national standard. Now, in his capacity as vice president of China's Translators Association, he is continuing to push for the introduction of national regulations that would provide better oversight of the translation market and help to protect translators. I am Man Ling. Thank you for listening to our program. If you liked it and want to listen to us again, just find us on our website chinaplus.cri.cn and Apple Podcasts. Music